Welcome to The Alchemy of Things, a podcast diving deep into topics like skincare, holistic living, and the energy that connects us all. I'm your host, Brandy Searcy, founder and formulator of Rain Organica, where you'll find skincare you can take with you anywhere. Have you ever wondered how to further cut your carbon emissions and just lead a more sustainable lifestyle with your food choices? Today's episode, we're going to talk about a few ways that you can make more sustainable choices for your diet. So we'll start out by talking about community-supported agriculture. We're also going to talk about beef. Before we get into the beef section and into a meat versus vegetarian and grass-fed versus feedlot discussion, I'm going to tuck in my tangent piece on almond milk versus oat milk. Let's get started talking about CSAs. So there are now quite a few articles out there, to my surprise, that claim that eating local doesn't significantly reduce your carbon footprint. I'm here to call bunk on that. So eating local can reduce the food portion of your carbon footprint by between 5 and 11%, based on which study you're looking at. And 5 to 11% of the food portion of your carbon dioxide emissions is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big impact. And especially when you think about it year over year. So definitely eat local peaches in season. Skip out on skip out on them in January. I mean, they're coming all the way from Chile anyway, and they just don't taste right. And one of the other things to really consider is to join a community-supported agriculture. One of the things about, okay, there's several things that are just beautiful about CSAs. So one of the things is that you will be buying local. Most of the time, CSA is composed of several small farms, and, and this is another beauty about a CSA. It's composed of several small local farms, and that ensures that you're eating in season. It's local, ensures you're eating in season. And those small farms, typically tend to grow more heirloom varieties of crops. That means they taste better, and that means that they support biodiversity. So one of the things as we've kind of, we've definitely moved away from kind of an agricultural society in favor of these big, huge industrial farms. And with that comes, instead of crops that require pollination, it comes uh, creating self-pollinating varieties of crops. And you can see this like even at your local flower center, you know, it's really hard to find fragrant varieties of flowers now because it's been bred out of them. And this impacts the pollinators. It impacts the bees. It impacts the butterflies. It impacts moss. It impacts other pollinating insects. By joining a CSA and if the farms that are providing food for that CSA, oftentimes they really are using more heirloom varieties of food. And this is, it's just huge with regards to biodiversity, both for the plant kingdom and for the animal kingdom. Another thing about CSA farms is, and small farms in general is that a lot of times, even if they aren't organic, they are practicing more environmentally friendly procedures and processes and practices than the larger guys. So this is where my personal experience comes in. So my grandma rented out farmland for years and years to a farmer who does not irrigate. And 
you know, you'd question him sometimes, so why don't you irrigate? And he says, I let God figure out when to water the crops. And that is such a beautiful way to farm because then it's not wasted water. His crops somehow miraculously every single year always wound up with a good yield and always wound up oftentimes looking better than crops of farmers around who would irrigate. Another thing is that small farms oftentimes practice crop rotations. This is another thing that this farmer did. So he would practice crop rotation that replenishes. So there's kind of two, I I think of crop rotation in two ways. So it's not growing the same crop on the same land year over year. And it's also planting in the fallow season. Now, you're better able to plant in the fallow season in some regions of the country than others. Still, there's opportunity, even somewhere cold, like in Colorado, there's still opportunity oftentimes to plant early season or late season crops to kind of replenish the soil after the main harvest. So this is another thing about small farms is oftentimes they're practicing crop rotation and they're practicing like soil replenishment during the fallow season. So that's another reason to love them. One more thing is by eating locally, you're you're avoiding food shipment from remote regions. And shipping is such a huge, it is such a huge carbon emitter. I'm definitely going to, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pull it into a podcast very well. There's, I've got a blog post pretty much ready for publishing on carbon emissions and shipping. Um, I'll see if I can work it into something that makes sense for a podcast. But anyway, there is a blog post coming soon on that. And shipping is just such a huge emitter uh, of greenhouse gases. And the other thing about it is you just think about anything that needs to be shipped cold or anything that needs to be shipped frozen. And that just multiplies the amount of greenhouse gases emitted during the shipping process. So anyways, that is my plug for joining a CSA. If you're looking for one close to you, check out the show notes for today's episode and you can find a couple links to get an idea of some CSAs that are nearby. So now I want to move on and into, I'm not sure if I should pre-warn you or not, and you're going to figure it out soon enough. And let's talk about oat milk versus almond milk for a minute here. So (laughs) there's this huge question about whether oat milk or almond milk is more sustainable for the planet and is better for the environment. Now, production of almonds emits less greenhouse gases than oats, but almond crops need more water than oat crops. So that part of it winds up being a wash. Here's the thing, though. I always choose almond milk over oat milk because unless those oats are organic, they've likely been sprayed with glyphosate to ripen them. So what does this mean? It means that, so oftentimes many crops like... The two that come to mind are oats and wheat. Oftentimes when those crops are cut, the stalks are sprayed with glyphosate to make them turn brown and make them release the kernels faster. I think that I'm almost positive here when I say this, that glyphosate is also used in sugarcane when the sugarcane is cut for making it ripen faster. I'll look into that, be sure I'm right. And make a note in the show notes with references that you can go check out on that as well. There's a huge oat milk brand called Oatly. They offer organic oat milk in Sweden. Sweden. It's not organic in the States. Hmm. I wonder why. 
So for that reason alone, I reach for the almond milk over the oat milk. Now, the other thing is, so you can think almonds grow on trees and those trees aren't cut down every year. Oats grow in fields, massive and massive fields, and they're cut down every year. And unless the farms are practicing soil replenishment and like good, good soil husbandry, that soil is getting depleted and the way that they're replenishing it is coming in and spraying it with fertilizers to replenish the the nutrients. Of course, spraying it with fertilizer <laughs> doesn't replenish the microbiome of the soil, which is a whole nother, which is a whole nother story. So anyways, that is another reason. That's the second biggest reason why I reach for almond milk over oat milk. All right. Now that tangent aside, let's talk about meat. Meat has definitely gotten a bad rep for contributing to greenhouse gases. An average person's diet generates about two and a half tons of greenhouse gases per year, just from diet alone, compared with a vegetarian's diet, which generates about 1.7 tons of greenhouse gases per year. So that's a pretty big difference. It's almost one ton difference in greenhouse gas generation. Now, if you notice, I said vegetarian and not vegan, Yep, that's right. There's hope for all of us. If possible, choose American dairy. And this is assuming that you live in the States. And as for your eggs, this is another great reason to join a CSA is just local eggs. If you can't stand the thought of giving up all meat, cut out the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases, and that's beef. Just by eliminating beef alone from your diet, and still enjoying chicken, fish, and even pork, you can reduce your carbon footprint from about two and a half tons of carbon dioxide emitted per year down to about 1.9 tons of carbon dioxide emitted per year. That's a huge savings. I mean, that's 0.6 tons a year. And then there's always the question of if you're splurging and going to have a steak or going to have a burger, which should you choose, grass-fed beef or feedlot beef? Okay, this issue is so profoundly complicated. It turns out that most grass-fed beef is actually from New Zealand, Australia, or South America. And this goes back to shipping. So it's way more complicated than just looking at the greenhouse gas emissions that it takes to grow the cow that it takes to raise that cow. You also have to look at the greenhouse gas emissions for shipping that beef all the way from the other side of the world or all the way from the Southern hemisphere. You can definitely find articles that support either grass-fed beef or feedlot beef, but the best choice is to probably opt for something other than beef. Now, I do want to make a note here. We find so many, there's, there are way too many reasons in this world to feel guilty, and I don't want your decision to have a hamburger at dinner time to be one of them. So if you love a good hamburger or a good steak, don't feel guilty for ordering it, and don't feel guilty for enjoying it. So let's do a quick recap. So we talked about the advantages of a CSA and what those allow. We talked about oat milk versus almond milk. I want to make one more note on that. So Oatly does, according to their website, they are definitely concerned with glyphosate residue in the oat milk. Now this is the finished oat milk. And they send that out for testing, which yes, that's admirable that they are concerned with their customer's health. 
it is still a burden to the environment with the use of glyphosates as ripening agents for oats and other grains and also sugarcane. I would love to see them go further and make a commitment not to use glyphosate ripened oats and state that clearly on their site, which they're not currently doing as of the date that this podcast airs. We also talked about grass-fed beef versus feedlot beef and looked at the impact of, and here I'm talking about the greenhouse gas impact or the carbon footprint of a vegan diet versus a meat eater's diet and even a meat eater's diet with just reducing your beef intake if, if you happen to eat meat. All right, now it's time for this week's In Tune segment. April 26th marks the first supermoon of 2021. Supermoons happen when the moon is full and at its closest point in its orbit to Earth, making the moon appear larger. April's full moon is known as the pink moon because it usually happens when pink phlox blossoms burst into bloom, blanketing the ground with bright spring color. And the lyric meteor showers are expected to peak just before the full moon. You can catch the showers between April 19th and the wee morning hours of April 23rd. Do you know somebody who might enjoy this episode? If so, go ahead and send them the link to this podcast from your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to rainorganica.com slash blogs slash podcast and just send them the link for that site. And then they can click on today's episode and listen straight from the site if they wish. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Until next time. Bye. If you're enjoying The Alchemy of Things, would you consider leaving a review? You can leave a review in your favorite podcast listening platform, and I would so appreciate your time in doing so. Thank you.